If you are a blamer, you want to pay attention to when you are in a circumstance that is going badly for you. How are you narrating that in front of your children? So are you saying, oh, this person is so annoying. It always, I would have been able to do this fine. Or even blaming your kids. You know what? We wouldn't have been late if you had just blah, 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 blah. Right? So pay attention to that blaming language because they hear it and they use it. Welcome to Flusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Flusterclucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. So Robin, we're going to talk today about something. I get a lot of questions about this, and we've gotten several questions about this in the podcast group also. What do you do when your kid is a blamer and how to deal with the pattern of blame? Boy, is it a tough one. And it's also so toxic and adults do it all the time too. So we're going to dive in and talk about how to handle blame, what's normal, what you can do about it how to pay attention to your own blame, all things blame. It's going to be a blame a palooza. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, woohoo. <laughs> okay, so tell us what is the blaming pattern? The blaming pattern is is that whenever you make a mistake or you do something irresponsible or you forget something like anything at all, that your immediate reaction when you're called out on it when somebody says Hey, what happened? Or did this happen? You immediately say, it's not my fault. It was because of this. It is a very, very common human response. Adults do it all the time. The interesting thing about it, because I did a little research, looked up blame, is that adults are not very good at identifying how often they blame. Most people will do it sometimes, right? It just, we do it, but we don't have a lot of insight into our own pattern of blaming. And one of the things we also know is that if kids are shown, this will not surprise anybody, if kids are shown how to blame, if that's kind of the culture that they hear, if that's what their parents do, if that's what the adults around them do, then they will become blamers as well. And it's one of the most corrosive things that happens in relationships, in kids' relationships, in romantic relationships, in work environments. The blamer and the blaming culture is really, really destructive. So let's start with a scenario of a five-year-old doing this blaming pattern. Give me some hypothetical dialogue. I need you to pick up your socks. Remember I told you that you got to pick your socks up. They're not my socks. So lots of times when kids are young, the blaming is completely irrational. They're standing there. They've got chocolate all over their face. And you say, hey, did you eat all the chocolate? And they go, no, I didn't eat it. Like they just completely deny that they did something. When you're a little kid, you blame in a way that makes no sense. What happens is that the parent says, hey, did you do this? Or, hey, I saw you do this. And they go, no, I didn't. A ton of funny Instagram videos and TikTok videos about kids just blatantly blaming things. So that's how it shows up with little kids. And then it gets a little bit more sophisticated as you get older. So maybe the siblings are having a fight and you say, hey, I need you guys to not do that. 
and somebody says, it wasn't my fault, it was his fault, or I didn't do anything, or you always blame me. And then it starts to show up oftentimes when a child needs to be responsible for something. So you say, hey, I got an email from your teacher that you didn't hand in that project. Well, it was their fault. They didn't tell me that I had to do this or, hey, I got a message from such and such that you need to take care of this. I wasn't told to do it. I didn't have to do that. So it becomes this pattern of not accepting responsibility and trying to get out of things that you don't want to do. And it also becomes a pattern of not being able to accept when you've done something, you've made a mistake, maybe you've hurt somebody's feelings, that you've done something that you really need to own up to. So that's when you see the blaming. The other way that it shows up, and this shows up pretty commonly in kids of elementary school age and even younger, is that if you're playing a game and you lose the game, so you're playing a game, you start blaming the other people, you accuse them of cheating, you accuse them of not following the rules, that you're going to do anything you can to get out of those bad feelings that happen when things don't go your way. I'd like to add one more, which is if you have a perfectionistic tendency and then something falls short, you could be very quick to blame an external reason, an external person, an external action that prevented you from achieving that perfection in your mind. Correct. It really is having difficulty owning when you fall short. It could be owning when you fall short in a relationship, but it also is not being able to own when you fell short in some way if you are a perfectionist. So the reason you didn't get the A wasn't because of you, it was because of the other person. And the interesting thing about this is one of the things that happens is that when something goes well, you will attribute it to your effort. You won the dance competition or you got the A plus on the math test. You'll attribute that to your efforts. But if something goes wrong, then it becomes that external factor that prevented you. So you didn't win the dance competition. It was because the judge was biased or playing favorites. Or you didn't get the A plus on the project. It was because the teacher didn't tell you what to do or the other kids in the project didn't live up to their responsibilities. Sometimes a real clear pattern of I'm going to own when things go well. And then I'm going to blame when things don't go well. And that's what we see consistently. You can imagine this. And like if there's adults that you've experienced who are like this, so they'll take credit when something is positive and then blame when something is negative. It's a really, really important pattern to interrupt as early as possible. You talked about blaming on the show in the past being one of the most toxic patterns. We haven't actually talked about the pattern and unpacked it. I've just been looking around at blaming patterns within myself and those that I've seen. And it does strike me that a blaming pattern that never gets intervened with and maneuvered a little bit into something healthier, that blaming adult is the adult who simply blames the world for all of their own unhappiness. Correct. So one of the things that you can look at is that blaming is two things. One is that it's a very often effective way of avoidance. 
And we've talked about avoidance so many times, right? So you're trying to avoid bad feelings. You're trying to avoid taking responsibility. You're trying to get out of something that doesn't feel good. When people come into that, they have that victim role. So it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And also blaming is a way of expressing anger at the world. And it often is an indicator that you don't have very good problem solving skills. Right. Not only problem solving, but like when you think of the extreme example, it's sort of relevant and trickles all the way back to the child. If you lack the skill of understanding the consequences of your own actions and the choices or owning your own stuff. Yeah. And you know, I say that all the time, right? One of the most important skills we want to teach our kids is the ability to own your own stuff. And we want to model that. And when I'm working with families and I've got a parent that's not owning their own stuff, that's really hard for me to work with. When we come back from this break, let's pretend that we're observing one of those families and what you've heard. All right. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance, so literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think 
that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Okay, we're back. So it's like those Saturday Night Live characters, if anyone remembers Doug and Wendy Weiner. (laughs) So we've got the Weiners. Now we've got the blamers in your office. Tell us what does a session look like with a family with some blaming issues? What's interesting is that sometimes the family is sort of a blaming unit. So they have a really hard time looking at their own patterns or even helping their child accept responsibility for what their child is doing or what they're doing. And so they're blaming outside forces. So they're blaming the school, they're blaming the kids in the neighborhood. They're blaming the other families. So that is, I'm having difficulty accepting any responsibility. Because remember, when you do that, you're in a place of vulnerability. So when you say, oh, I did this. So that's what I might see. And then I also might see just individuals in the family that are in that blaming role. And the other members of the family are trying to get them to not do that. The parent might say, well, this has nothing to do with me. Or a child might consistently say, well, I'm not anxious. It's just that you guys are making me do things that are stupid. Somebody might say, well, you're the one that has the problem. So just because I want to keep the house perfect doesn't mean I have a problem. It means that you guys are messy. So it can come up in all sorts of ways. It certainly comes up when we're talking about people's substance use that there's a lot of blaming. So kids might say, everybody else is smoking pot. And it's not that I have a problem. It's just that you guys don't understand things and you're old fashioned. Or you might have a parent in the family that is really having some difficulty with alcohol. And they'll say, well, the only reason I have to drink is because my life is so stressful. And if you guys would just do what you were told, I wouldn't have to drink. So it's a way of absolving responsibility and not having to change your own behavior. Mm, Yeah. It's actually pretty common when you think about it to different levels. It's really common. Yeah. Because it feels so bad to own your own mistakes. I mean, it really feels bad. So I have a question for you because I want to talk now about the range of normal. Do you ever have any blaming patterns show up and what does that look like? In me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. (laughs) Okay. I'm so glad you said that because when you started talking about blaming and I mentioned that I've been thinking about blaming, I've definitely done an audit of myself of that blaming pattern. And can I share with you my progress? Yes, please. Okay. When you started talking about that, I thought about when do I have a blaming response? I think I'm not that uncommon where this pattern shows up. I'm a working mom with kids, family, tons of responsibilities, and I will sort of plan how I'm supposed to get everything done. 
but another member of my family may do something that disrupts the efficiency of that plan. And that was a trigger for me of like, oh, okay, I was almost about to get all of this done, but then something happened. And if it weren't for you, I would have been able to execute my plan in the way that I needed to execute my plan. Right. In fairness, I wouldn't verbalize it at the person who had done it, but I would have a very strong emotional reaction of like annoyance. Yes. And it leads to resentment. Right. I would have annoyance and resentment, even at the kids who I adore. Especially this all started during the pandemic where we're home all the time together. And so I started observing this pattern of when it would show up and when something would come up. And I have to say that it really can shift. Now, this blame response might come up for a second. And I just go, oh, there's the blame response. And I just let it go. Yeah. The way it comes up for me professionally, most often is when I am in an email conversation with people, say we're coming up trying to get a contract together or whatever, And maybe I don't get an email response as quickly as I should, or we're trying to work through things. And you know how that can go, like you're going back and forth with the emails. And then I'll want to blame them and say like, oh, they're just not getting this done on time or this or that. And the thing that my husband and I, because he works in my business with me, is that we started saying to stop ourselves from doing that is saying, oh, we're telling a story. And the story is usually a blaming story, right? Sometimes we might tell a story about ourselves. I just had a a situation where somebody wasn't responding to an email that I sent them. And I created a story that totally had me, I screwed up, I screwed up, oh my gosh. And it wasn't, that wasn't the case. But we say to each other, and we've been working on this, like, okay, we're telling a story. And it's easy to do, like, it's just so quick to try and figure out what the other person did before we figure out what we've done. And it shows up because it feels, like I said before, it feels badly to own your own stuff. It feels badly to acknowledge it. So knowing that it feels badly when you're owning your own mistakes. Have you ever known anybody who refuses to apologize? I always think that's such an interesting approach to take to life. No, I'm not somebody who apologizes. I'm like, oh, so you're either perfect or you're an asshole. Yeah, I think the answer is only the latter. Right. So it's normal for people to have a little bit of a blaming response. And then ideally, we're conscious of it. And we, as an adult, let it go. But you're all about skill building. Really, what this is about is developing contrary skills that prevent the blaming pattern from getting really big. Correct. And so if you just acknowledge with your kids that it is normal for them to have an immediate blaming reaction... We're never going to say, oh, we're going to get rid of blaming because we all do it. It's an immediate reaction and it's okay. But then we're really wanting to show our kids how do we take responsibility for the things that are ours. One of the patterns that you see is that if you have a child who has been punished or is shamed for making a mistake or doing things wrong, they are much more likely to blame because there hasn't been room for them to own their own stuff and do that in a way that feels supportive and loving. I think it was your brother who once said something pretty wise. There's no positive change that can come from someone when they are in the state of shame. That's right. Yep. So if you're being shamed and blamed and you're trying to get out of that situation or you're trying to avoid punishment, 
a lot of people ask us questions like, my kid's lying. Yeah, little kids lie because they're trying to avoid getting punished. They're trying to avoid getting blamed. It's a normal response. What we want to do with kids is we want to show them, of course, we want to model owning your own stuff, which means that when you make a mistake, you apologize. We want to acknowledge absolutely that it feels really badly when we make a mistake, that when we screw up, that when we say something hurtful or we forget something. I mean, I backed out of my garage and smashed into your husband, my brother's car once. Also, people might remember that I took one son's car and backed into the other son's car. I did that last winter. So that was a good one. It feels terrible to come into the house and say like, hey, everybody, guess what I just did? I just wrecked both of your cars in one shot. Let's just stop and unpack that for a moment. Yeah. When you were driving one of your son's cars into the other. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it happened. Of course, you were like, what the f***? Yes. Mm -hmm. And really mad at yourself. And... If people, other people, a variety of people had that happen to them and they were getting out of that car and walking back into the house, many people would start thinking of why it happened that was therefore not your fault. It was really dark and you never changed the external house's light bulb so I couldn't see. All of a sudden, people go through a whole list of reasons this happened, but you're not everyone. You've worked on emotional regulation for a really long time. And you had the power and the vulnerability to be like, okay, that sucks. I <laughs> did this. And you just owned it. And yeah. you had the vulnerability to own it. And it probably really wasn't that bad. No, I mean, actually, it became kind of funny. The thing about it is that what we have to acknowledge and we have to help our kids understand is that owning something it doesn't feel good immediately. But over time, and people understand, like everybody makes mistakes, we all screw up. Everybody has a mistake that they've made in their lives. And sometimes they're catastrophic mistakes that there's nothing you can do about. And it just feels terrible. And you just have to feel those feelings. Blaming is a way to try and get rid of those feelings to say, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. It was your fault. It's a way to sort of escape that vulnerability and a way to not feel what doesn't feel good. So walking into the house and me saying like, hey, everybody, guess what I just did? Of course, they were like, oh, my God, mom, I can't believe you did that. And then they were also sort of like, we can believe you did that. And then we had to problem solve. So what happens when we teach kids to blame is that we're telling them and when we allow them to blame, we're telling them. One is that we can't tolerate the bad feelings from making a mistake. So we have to try and get rid of those. And we aren't going to help you problem solve when you've done something that now needs repair. Because the second stage, after we teach our kids to own their own stuff rather than blame, then we have to help them with the repair process. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences. It doesn't mean that we say, well, now that you've owned up to doing that bad thing, we're going to let you off the hook. But we have to help them figure out what are the next steps that we take to repair. Because there are consequences for making mistakes. There are consequences for doing something stupid. There was a consequence for me backing one son's car into the other son's car. But kids need help walking through how do we repair it. 
I also just want to bring up the point like you gave an example earlier. If you had been a mom who came in ready to blame that one of the other three men in your household hadn't, for example, changed a light bulb or had parked too close to the other car or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Like if you had created a blame story and come in, then all of a sudden the dynamic is completely different. Right. Someone's been accused. That's going to make someone really angry. Correct. Really resentful. And it's a completely different dynamic. When you come in and there's no story, no blame story that you've added, you've kind of just like simplified and kept everything in an honest space. That's right. When you screw up, when you make a mistake, when you're called out on something, there are certain emotions that are just going to be inevitable, right? We feel embarrassed or we feel ashamed or we feel humiliated or we feel bad for what we've did or now we've got to pay for the car to get fixed, right? There's all those emotions. But what we don't have is we don't have resentment. We don't have defensiveness if we can work through it. We don't have that perpetual feeling of this isn't fair. Because when somebody is blaming, they're really in the victim role a lot of times. And then you're putting that defensiveness, you're putting that victim role now on somebody else because now they're saying, well, that isn't fair. I didn't do this. It changes the dynamic so quickly. And it takes away the ability to empathize, right? So when I come in the house and I say, you guys, I am so sorry. You wouldn't believe what I just did. And I own it. Everybody can relate, I think, to making a mistake, to backing into a car, either literally or figuratively. Everybody knows how that feels. And so you are opening up empathy. Everybody knows how it feels to lose a game that you really wanted to win. Everybody knows how it feels to make a mistake when you really didn't want to make a mistake. Everybody knows how it feels that you said something that was hurtful and you wish you could take it back. And when you own it, you're allowing your kids to practice empathy. And then when they own their mistakes, when they come in and say, I just did this thing, you are now showing them your empathy. And then you figure out how to repair, which is the next step that we want kids to take. If you've made a mistake, if you've done something wrong, if you screwed up, maybe you just made a mistake during your piano recital, right? So you don't have to go and repair it. You just feel badly. But it allows for empathy and repair. Blaming doesn't give you that opportunity to teach those skills to your kids. And sometimes the repair is really problem solving. Okay, so now how do I fix this car? Who do I email to talk about the mistake that I made? You bring up a piano recital. My son had his yesterday. And it would be the equivalent. Say he had a really hard time at his recital and the song just kind of flopped. He could have said two things because he had never played on a grand piano before. So he could have said, wow, playing on that new piano sounded different. It felt a little different. So it wasn't my best. Versus, well, I would have done better, but that piano just was not the same as mine, right? And so it's the different energy, not fair. I'm the victim here. They made me play on the piano. And if I had played on the other piano, right, we can all feel that versus, oh, that was hard. And then say they're playing in the piano recital, somebody's playing the piano recital, and they screw up because people screw up and then they feel really badly. We want to let our kids sit in that, you know what? I get it. You feel badly about it. I know you really wanted to play that song better than you played it today. And it feels really awful to not be able to have that, doesn't it? 
You want your kid to say, it was hard for me to play the way I wanted to when I could hear babies cry versus I would have played better if that baby hadn't cried. Right. Because we want to have that balance because sometimes there are external circumstances that get in the way of us doing things that we want to do. But we want to teach our kids how to look at the circumstance in a way that helps them own what's theirs to own and also to just experience the bad emotions that come when you make a mistake, when you screw up. It's really okay. As I said, other people will be able to understand and support. Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. That's one of the things we can say to kids is that when they're in that situation, that empathy helps. You say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Now, then you don't want to necessarily launch into a big, long story in that moment about how this same thing happened to you. That's what people do when they're trying to empathize and they turn it back on themselves. But you can say, you know what? I've made mistakes like that. I know exactly how it feels. It feels so badly. Is there anything I can do to help you in this moment? Do you need a hug? Or if you back into your son's car, everybody can say, oh, God, yeah, I've done that, too. Yeah, no one else can say that they did what? That. <laughs> They got in one son's car and hit the other. I mean, that one's a pretty unusual circumstance, and it's awesome, and just own it. All right. Well, okay, so let me just say, wonderful listeners, if any of you have gotten into one of your children's cars and smashed into the other children's cars, please leave a comment so that I can... Rub it in my face. Yeah, that it has happened to other people. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's really talk about things that the adults hearing this can be working on if this is sounding a little too familiar. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y 
L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash Flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up, so order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash Flusterclucks. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn, and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. It's fantastic, and that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's Masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good, and Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. Okay, so now back to the show. So let's talk about our own blame patterns so that we can model moving out of them. And I think this is what I love about what you always say is that we're not perfect. So when we discover our own flaws, but we verbalize how and that we are working on them, we are indirectly then also helping our kids learn how to work on them too. It's a win-win. That's right. Because we're modeling. Yeah. If you are a blamer, you want to pay attention to when you are in a circumstance that is going badly for you, how are you narrating that in front of your children? So are you saying, oh, this person is so annoying that I would have been able to do this fine or even blaming your kids. You know what? We wouldn't have been late if you had just blah, 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 right? So pay attention to that blaming language because they hear it and they use it. The other thing you really want to make sure that you're not doing as a parent is that when your kids get into that blame mode and they get angry at you and they start accusing that you don't get sucked into it right in that moment and start having a debate with them about whether or not they did this or not did this. It's that content versus process thing again, because part of blaming and part of being the victim and part of getting angry, it's a way to get you to back off. So say, for example, that your child was supposed to leave the door unlocked for their sibling and they forgot and the sibling got locked out of the house. 
And then you come home and one sibling's upset and says, he didn't unlock the door like he was supposed to. And you say, you didn't unlock the door like you were supposed to. And they say, oh, yeah. Well, you know what? If you weren't so blah, blah, blah. And they start accusing. And then you get into a fight about the language they're using or the tone that they're using or the way that they're talking to you. You lose track of the issue, which is oftentimes what they want you to do anyway. Not consciously, but it derails things. So stay with the lesson learned, right? Because when people make a mistake, when people screw up, you want to make it an opportunity for lessons learned. Don't get derailed by all the emotional stuff, even if you have to take a break from it. Because say your son was supposed to unlock the door for their sibling and they forgot, there's a lesson learned. What can we do to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, but you have to add the layer on the fact that, okay, you're a working parent and this happened in your family. So then one of the kids is locked out and then you get a call or a text like I'm locked out of the house. So even if you're a parent who doesn't then go at your kids for this, but the feelings still come up, that's when I think it's really worth still acknowledging that blame pattern. Because even if you don't verbalize like, oh my gosh, you made me miss this meeting. I looked bad in front of my team or whatever it is, or I had to leave and I'm financially penalized, whatever the circumstances are, you know, the thing is you internalize a little bit of resentment or nastiness that your kids will still pick up on. Yeah. And also you're going to feel that way. Like if your kid forgot to unlock the door and you had to leave a meeting, it's okay for you to come home and say, hey, look, we got to figure this out because I had to leave that meeting and it was really not good. And that's when you want to say it in a way that then your child can say, I know, I'm so sorry, mom. I can't believe I did that. I recognize that I inconvenienced you, right? There's owning it. There's owning up on both sides. Yeah. The opposite of blaming is being able to own your part in something and, very importantly, not feel good, right? I mean, that's what blaming is to try and get you out of those feelings of not feeling good. And so that's what we want to teach our kids and that's what we want to normalize. We want to say it is really hard to own the mistakes that you've made, just like it's really hard to lose a game. It's really hard to screw up. It's really hard to drop the ball in some way. It doesn't feel good. And so let's talk about lessons learned. When we are helping kids with this stuff and we want them to own their own stuff instead of blaming, make sure that you don't mistake that and go the other way. And now don't have your kids have any consequences for things. My son, when he was little, he got mad at the computer and he bent my computer back and broke it because it wasn't working. He didn't do it on purpose. And he tried to not own up to it. And then he ultimately did have to own up to it, which was good. But I made him pay for the computer repair. So even though he owned up to it, I didn't absolve him of his responsibility. It was, you made a mistake. We all do. You owned it. Fantastic. And now what are the consequences and what's the repair? That's the path that you want to go down. And what I think is such a great point is that if you were to go back in time Your son had broken your computer and you're talking to him about it from this perspective. You're having a pretty unheated conversation. You're definitely practicing emotional regulation as a mom. You're modeling how to do it. And your son may have been very uncomfortable, but eased into that space with you where he was owning it. And you enabled your approach, enabled him to learn how to own his own stuff more comfortably, shall we say, too. Because if you were going at it with a bunch of anger and blame and shame, 
he would have kept lying. Yes. He started off lying. He started off saying he didn't do it. I knew he did it. So I had to help him work out of denial, which is totally normal, right? That's what we do. So we wanted to work from denial to acceptance to repair. Because the denial is going to come first. That's what human beings do. When you get pulled over for speeding, that's one of the things, actually, when you get older, you stop. They go like, do you know why I pulled you over? And you go, no, I have no idea. Now I just go, yeah, because I just was driving too fast. Yeah. And you don't offer any excuses and you just say like, yeah, I was driving fast. And then sometimes they let you off. Actually, they let me off a lot now lately. So when you own it, you can get some better results. But it's immediate denial, then ownership, and then repair. That takes your kids out of that playing that victim and blaming. It's just so nobody wants to hang around with a blamer. It eliminates all the negative stories. It does. At a moment when everyone needs to be vulnerable, problem solving and authentic. Yeah. Because remember, what kids have to learn is that it's okay to make a mistake and that doesn't make them a bad person, right? It doesn't make them that they're a horrible person that they did this. They just made a mistake. And you can be a really kind, caring, considerate person and then do something that was unkind or uncaring or inconsiderate. It doesn't wipe the slate clean. The way you repair, the way you get back to who you want to be is to own it, feel it, fix it. You're going to have to give your kids that message over and over and over and over again. Yeah. You're going to have more than one opportunity to practice this for sure, because it happens all the time. I'll just tell you this one funny story. So the boy we're talking about, my son, he's 25 now. So he got invited to this surprise birthday party for one of his friends down in Boston. The girlfriend was throwing the surprise birthday party and it was casino themed and it was to dress up like casino themed. So he happened to be here on his way to go down to Boston. And so I helped him with his costume. We got like this really gaudy red silk shirt, imitation silk shirt that we had. He got gold chains. He was wearing black pants with these pointy shoes. Like we got him to look like a casino pimp. He slicked his hair back and he wore sunglasses. And then he got to the party in Boston and nobody else had dressed up. (laughs) (laughs) So he walked in and he didn't know anybody else at the party. So he he walked in dressed more like a 1972 casino pimp and people didn't know they were supposed to dress up. So everybody was like, hey. Hi, come on in. And then he was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, my God. It's like Legally Blonde, the costume party. Yeah. I mean, I would think that he met some very cool people that night because the cool people would have wanted to get to know him. Well, the one person who was really appreciative of the fact that he dressed up was the girlfriend who wanted everybody to dress up. And I think she may have been wearing like a formal kind of like casino looking dress. So she was very appreciative, but he said it was awkward, but he handled it pretty well. And he said he had a great time at the party. That's great. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. 
I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.